Hello and welcome to the NTT20 podcast, the Monday pod covering all things EFL and sponsored by Betfair. Over the weekend, in the championship, Cruel's intentions make Wagner shout nine, but it's nine in a row for Burnley. Elsewhere, Swans get owned, not by the King, but by the Duke. Djukovic's trusty head and trusty's uh, head made it swansea.com swansea.yeah for those Birmingham away fans in the world's best third tier everything is groovy for Sheffield Wednesday Argyle's tyres are flat hi-ho McGoldrick made it a hat-trick of hat-tricks did he Shrewsbury Oxford for five in a row and the Hunger Games begin down the bottom in League Two. Murder at the Orient's address as league leaders nick a needed win. They were hunting Dons, while Huntingdon of Carlisle served Harrogate, a cream tea, biscuit and three delicious points. And I was in the Kent countryside to get my fill of the no-frills jills and their well-timed dollar-dollar bills. This is the NTT20 podcast sponsored by Betfair. Hello, George. How long did they take you, those? I think that was about 45 seconds. No, to write. I'm not giving that away. Definitely doesn't take me the whole weekend. <laughs> some, some really good bits. I especially enjoyed the delivery of the um, trusty head. Trusty's head was good. Well done. Uh, George, we've got another new member of the NTT20 podcast team. Yes. We've been growing over the last couple of months. Uh, another shrewd addition, I think it's fair to say. We, we did get the paperwork done in time by the end of January uh, and announced this morning. Yes, it is Matt from the Near Post at the Near Post EFL and he is going to be just taking our, our Twitter account and he's going to turn it into what it should be, which is a, a Twitter account which covers, um, you know, which can engage the EFL community, represent us a bit better than we can do ourselves and we're incredibly excited to have him on board. So uh, if you don't already, go and follow us on Twitter. Matt's been running an account called the Near Post EFL, churning out great stuff now for over 18 months I think and so many of his posts have caught our eye they look great they're very clean and I think they fit us perfectly because it's not posts for engagement's sake it's not like colour by numbers social media just to get favourites and to grab follows from what we've seen from Matt's work so far and what we hope that he'll be doing for us is basically well-chosen and topical EFL stats, nicely presented, which will complement the pod discussion, which will complement our, our nascent YouTube channel and help us become definitively the best place for EFL content stats and informed discussion and passion in the entirety of the World Wide Web. That's very much the goal. Uh, and we're looking to press on with that in 2023. I'll still be on there occasionally, you know, fitting EFL players' names into Missy Elliott or Katie Tunstall song titles or tweeting old memes with an EFL twist. But uh, Matt's going to be taking us to the next level. So welcome, Matt. Uh, joins a, a great team. We've got Dana on board. We've got Luke. We've got Brett as well. Um, we're really, really uh, enjoying doing a bit more, uh, investing into Not the Top 20 and hopefully becoming a better product uh, for you guys. Let's start our championship chat at the top of it. Uh, the big game pre-weekend was Norwich nil, Burnley 3, uh, Wagner Wagon in, uh, welcoming Burnley into town and getting thumped, really. Burnley are just inevitable at the moment, nine in a row. Yeah, and so impressive in doing so. Um, you know, Norwich fans would have been very relieved when Kenny McLean... Um, being dispossessed by Nathan Taylor early in the in the first half, um, it was a great block from from Hanley. But that was basically a rather than being a let off, 
it was a sign of what was to come because um, Burnley did to Norwich exactly what Norwich have done to to, to other sides early in Wagner's in Wagner's reign, where their energy off the ball, their their high press ability to nick the ball in high areas and convert that into goal-scoring opportunities was just a feature of the first half. And yes, they were only one up at half time, but I, you know, anyone who listens to this will know the high esteem that we hold. Burnley in, uh, probably especially me over the last couple of months. But basically, every time I watch them live, sit down for a whole 90 minutes and watch them, you're reminded by just how good they are. And that good isn't necessarily just in terms of them being a team that wins games. It's just the ways in which they hurt you, the expansive play. What I love about them so much is, is how unique it is in terms of their style, where, yes, we've seen high-pressing teams in the past, um, although I'd say with some of the, you know, when with some of the players who are being told to press high. You know, I know Jack Cork wasn't available um, last time, but when you think it's players like Cork and like Barnes, who are you know not the youngest and, and have, have come into this side as a, a throwback to the Sean Dyche days, um, where you know Dyche weren't ne- Dyche's team weren't necessarily the most passive off the ball, but it's a very, very different um, skill to learn this. And they're just so good at doing it. But then on the ball, again, um, it's the... The fullbacks playing um, as, as almost kind of hybrid midfielders. And then what I love is just how, even though they're a possession-based team, you've got the wide men, whoever they may be, given com- complete creative freedom, complete creative license to, to carry the ball, to dribble, to take their men on, which is something you don't necessarily see. Um, I tweeted about Vincent Company a couple of times on, on Saturday and was just very surprised. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised, but I was very surprised to see how... Um, yeah, how opposition fans are seemingly fairly unwilling to give company the credit that I think he deserves. The idea seeming to be that because they have one of the highest wage bills and because they came down from the, from the Premier League and have parachute payments, that means that the job he has done is, is to be expected. I, I couldn't disagree with that more. I think that is complete revisionism over what was expected from this Burnley side after relegation um, the parachute payments as far as I can tell haven't really come into it if you look at their transfer dealings since being relegated from um, from the Premier League they have turned over a profit and a big profit tens of millions of pounds of profit in, in player sales so they, they're reinvesting the money from players that they've sold and you've got to look beyond just the points tally and the wage bill and look at what company is actually doing and the way that he has managed to take, firstly, the recruitment itself, he deserves massive credit for because he's clearly played a massive part in that, especially when you look at how many players have come in from Belgium um, over the last few months. So he deserves credit for, for the recruitment anyway, but it's the style of play, the way that he's managed to translate what he wants to see on a football pitch across to these players and turn that into a relentless winning machine. You know, 10 wins on the bounce now, 11 wins in the last 13, 12 points clear of third. It's, mid, it's early February, you know, I think in terms of pure, not necessarily overachievement, but what we're seeing from him as a manager, you know, you take the four, the four best championship sides of recent seasons, Leeds under Bielsa, Silvers at Fulham, um, Farkas Norwich the second time, and this Vincent Company Burnley side. And I think it's most comparable with, with Bielsa because I think the genius of Silva and Farker was there being able to unlock ridiculous talent for championship level whether it was Mitrovic or Buendia and just turn that focal point into just an unstoppable force whereas I think with Bielsa and company it's far more to do with the system being able to raise players performance levels and just turn in these incredibly efficient performances where the gap between them and the opposition is just vast and that's what we're seeing here um 
it's interesting that we talk on a day where the future of Manchester City seems pretty uncertain. But you know, in my mind, you know, if Manchester City remain the, the dominant global force that they are in in world football um, financially and, and on the pitch, then it would it would seem mad to me now that the company won't end up being Guardiola's successor. As soon as as company went in, he had such good grasp of the dressing room, even with so much turnover, even with so much change. You know, you can imagine that 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 part of the job was really difficult as well. So much player turnover, players in completely different situations, different parts of their career, working out who will be able to stick around, buy into it and perform who maybe needed to let go uh, and then welcoming players from some of them from English leagues, some of them from foreign leagues and, and embedding them all into the team. Every time you see him interact with his players, it looks like they are in awe of him. And that's not because he had an amazing career. Let's be very clear about that. Tons of managers who had wa- wonderful playing careers have managed in the EFL. And that in itself is not enough to get a player to absolutely adore you and do every single thing you ask them to do. Certainly not six months in, you know, maybe for a week or two when they when they think about how many times they saw you play on the telly. But that is not something that, that actually lasts very long, I don't believe. You have to back it up with what you do as a manager, not what you did as a player. And so far, company is, is ticking absolutely every box. He's also... You know, he's also still managing to uh, sustain one of the great finishing seasons of all time. Um, Burnley now around 20 ex- uh, goals higher than their XG number, which I don't think I've ever seen uh, in early February. It's, it's quite sensational. Um, I did have some more stats on it, but let's leave them for another day. We're going to be in the away <laughs> end uh, with the Burnley fans at Millwall uh, in a couple of Tuesdays time. And I'm pretty excited about that. Pretty excited indeed. And they're now 17 points clear of third, George. And they're seven clear at the top. That's because Sheffield United dropped points away at Rotherham. Uh, a nil all draw, a couple of chances for each side, but no goals. Rotherham United, very impressive again. I'm continuing their trend from the last couple of league games. Paul Heckingbottom, I'm very honest about that, said it was a really tough game. We've played worse than that and won this season. So I take it as a positive point. And if you don't stand up to them, Rotherham beat you up. So I think Rotherham picking up some plaudits there. And Sheffield United uh, move on to their next game. Uh, let's talk Middlesbrough 3, Blackpool nil. Our third place team scoring three goals yet again. George, which one of us is going to wax lyrical about Michael Carrick and this particular style of play, some of the goals being scored at Borough? Yeah, I mean, it, it was another incredible Tuba Akpom performance where, I mean, the first goal of Akpom's here is such a good finish. And it's one of those where I, I'm so confused by it. I, I don't really understand what it is. I mean, the first time I saw it, I thought he'd he'd curled it. I don't think there's, I don't think there's a, an inch of curl on it at all. It's almost like a, it's like a chip. It's like a chip to lob. Bizarre, brilliant goal um, from him. And, and then a, a brilliant second as well. Really nice uh, interplay with, with Riley McGree, kind of a, a one, two, three. And then a, a nice finish um, clipped over as well. That Massive credit to um, Borough for this sustained run of form. They will certainly be now looking at Sheffield United as being a team that they could potentially chase down because... I don't think Blades are playing as well as they have done previously in the season. Uh, as I've said quite a lot recently, I think against in that that nil nil draw against Rotherham, they weren't at their best again. Um, what I would also say is that Blackpool in this game created a fair bit and will, will feel themselves like they're unlucky to not get back into the game, especially hitting the woodwork and missing a decent chance at one nil down. Um, I think Blackpool fans, despite 
well, some would have been just living losing 3-0, but I think some who weren't happy with some of the performances under Michael Appleton probably came away from the Riverside feeling like it was a, a better display in terms of attacking output, a little bit more urgency going forward. Um, but on the day, you know, they, they couldn't take their chances at 1-0 and they, they get sent home um, with a 3-0 defeat. But yeah, I mean, Barra just continue to impress um, and Carrick continues to to look to be the guy who, um, you know, we talk in, in glowing terms about company and I'm not going to go as far with Carrick, but there's no denying that his, his start in, in management has been incredibly impressive. Can we talk about the fact that all of Borough's attackers have names that really fit well with being strikers? You've got Force, you've got Archer, uh, and then this one's a bit of a stretch, but you've got Akpom, which sounds a bit like a plum. I, I think that's good. Good. Finish with Akpom. It, it, nice. the, the second goal is a, a real treat for the uh, for the football purists, not just the uh, the last part of it, which was McGree and Akpom's magnificent one, two, three, as you called it, but also the fact that it came from the back, the fact that with very few issues to speak of over the last couple of months, the, the one that seems to have been repeatedly uh, discussed and debated amongst Borough fans has been passing out from the back, and in particular Zach Steffen and, and the occasional mistake that gets made and, and the big chance for the opposition that comes from that. Well, you know, as is always worth pointing out when you've had that discussion, if you're going to point out the, the bad ones um, that give a chance to the opposition, then you should at least be making sure that you're aware of the goals that come from really smart possession, playing through presses and building through the thirds because uh, that's exactly what it was here and it was really really good to watch McGree has been brilliant as well he's probably the 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 least sung the most unsung of the uh, of the attacking players but um, such a strong all-rounder role for them I think seems so confident and he's a goal threat as well Um, and I think it's worth pointing that out because Tavernier's departure seemed like a big one seemed like an important one but McGree's quality has meant that it, it hasn't really been my main takeaway here for Barra is just look at the bench like Barlasa and Alex Mowat came on in central midfield. Uh, Isaiah Jones and Mark Bowler came on on the right side and the left side. Uh, unused subs, Matt Crooks, who's won them at least two games this season with his goals. Dale Fry, who is in the conversation for uh, team of the season when we had it two weeks ago, um, but currently having a rest while McNair goes in and scores. Not in the squad. Matt Clark, still a Borough player. Anthony Dykstiel, uh, Aaron Ramsey, who they signed on loan from Villa at the end of the window. Big Rod Muniz is still there if they need him. Uh, at the moment, <laughs> they don't. Big Rod. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, very, very uh, enjoyable to watch. As you say, Blackpool did have a moment or two, hit the bar at 1-0. But this was a bit of a free hit for them compared to what comes this week. Huddersfield at home on Tuesday night is a monster game. A game between uh, two of the bottom three, uh, Blackpool 23rd, Huddersfield 22nd, one point between them and the safety number is a couple of points away. So a huge game for them and then Rotherham away on the weekend as well. So next Monday, I'm sure we'll be talking Blackpool uh, and it'll be interesting to see whether McCarthy will have, have got things going or not. Um, George, uh, Swansea 3, Birmingham 4 is one of those games I find really hard to talk about on the pod because I still don't really know what happened. All I know is that it was complete bedlam. The away end looked right up there as away ends go. Yeah, I mean, two teams and sets of fans who aren't particularly happy with what's going on off the field. Um, Your very impressive monologue on our YouTube channel means I'm amazed that you have nothing to say about Swansea City. I thought you could talk for days just about Swans. Um, But, you know, you certainly captured the, the mood and the feeling around Swansea in terms of what's going on off the pitch in terms of Russell Martin and the way that he's being let down with what he's being given, what he's being 
asked to achieve with with not a particularly um, well certainly not a very good transfer window, but not really the resources to do so. And you know here um, it was Joel Peru who looked to be the um, you know the match winner at three two. I think the interesting thing for me was that at three two to Swansea you couldn't deny that Swansea were the, were the dominant team and the team who deserved to be in front of that stage. Even though it had been an end to end game, they'd certainly dominated in terms of you know as we'd expect possession, but also um, chances created. But it was the way that they were unable to see that through. They were really poor for the for the last half an hour, and I know that it was two very late goals from Jukovic and um, and from Trusty, both from set pieces, that that led to the, the turnaround and the four three win. But I think I'm right in saying that Swansea didn't have a shot after the 62nd minute um, when you're at home and you're three two up, and again it's been pretty end to end to suddenly you know retreat in that way and, and not look to kill the game off. Um, I think you're probably pointing at the players and the management for that. Um, and Swans will be incredibly disappointed. You know, after what was a really disappointing window, um, especially failing to replace the departed um, Oberfemi effectively, for them to then, you know, have the, the PR gaffe, I guess, of, of throwing away a 3-2 lead at home in the way that they did. Um, yeah, I, th- I think we've got to put Swansea on the watch list at the moment of a, of a team or a club that, that are not in a particularly good place. Mm. It was five defeats in a row before this one for Birmingham City. So, you know, uh, even even if you're in good form, a 4-3 away win from behind in the last minute is going to be special. The fact that it was five defeats in a row before this uh, really added to the, to the whole vibe. Also, Djokovic's diving header just made me so happy. Like, I, I really like to think that I'm very, very rarely trotting out the old classic things were better in the old days but I I got a huge wave of that seeing a properly brave diving header down where the knees and the boots are flying and I thought show me a striker in the EFL under the age of 30 (laughs) who will score a goal like that this season and someone will I'm 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 calling it it. I'm calling it a stooping header and you're calling it a diving header can it be both what if a stoop and a dive had a beautiful young child? You're watching Birmingham City's equalising goal from Lukas Djukovic. <laughs> also, some really nice football played by Swansea in their goals as well. I, I, you know, I want to sort of cling to some positives, particularly Pirot finding those shooting boots, having scored seven goals from ten expected this season. A real underperformance compared to last season, where I think he scored twenty-one from ten expected. Um, but Cullen and Cooper involved as well, and Grimes brilliant as ever they just are so soft from set pieces the most set piece goals conceded in the league per opter analyst um and, and open on the break as well as we saw for i think it was chong's second goal uh, chong's first goal Birmingham's second goal as well west brom beat commentary 1-0 on friday night uh the goal was hilarious because it was a, a long throw pumped into the box aimed at big jed wallace um who's playing as a 10 all brighton straight in for west brom playing off the right so jed in a kind of pressing number 10 role um something a little bit new for him he did play through the middle at times uh, for millwall but that was very much kind of on the shoulder and still with an emphasis on drifting wide whereas this new role will be interesting to see how he um, performs in it and he's got above or at least won the scraps from two Coventry centre-backs. I think it was Doyle and someone else that were up for it. Uh, Jed managed to, to disrupt them enough for the ball to bounce to, uh, or maybe he flicked it on actually, and I think it was going in and then 
tapped in by Deanne Garner. So uh, things march on, really, for Corboran and, and West Brom. They've now gone ahead in 10 of their 13 league games under Corboran, and they've only surrendered a lead once against Burnley, uh, where they were 1-0 up and lost 2-1. I think there's this sense, maybe, that they could do more to get the second goal. If you're being really picky, it'd be it'd be better to see them push on and try and tuck teams away. And they haven't always done that, but you have to say they are exceptionally difficult to score against and play through. And that is a huge credit to Corbrand for turning things around since he came in. Uh, what about Luton 1, Stoke City at nil? George, the former clubs of Nathan Jones Derby. <laughs> He, he possibly doesn't even know what the result was because he's got plenty going on in his own world at the moment at uh, Southampton. Um, I certainly think the man that replaced him at Luton Town is very popular with this fan base. Luton win into fourth, three wins in a row. A lot of love for Rob Edwards. And rightly so. I always think it's the a really good barometer of a team's strength is how they approach a game when they go one nil up in the in the early stages of a game. And that's You've exactly always what said happened that. here. You've always, always said it. Yeah, you have. Thank you. It's one of your big things. Game state reaction, mate. That's what it's all about in analysis. Sounds painful. <laughs> they went ahead early in the game. Um, a really nice finish. Pelly Radikampanzu um, bent into the uh, bottom left-hand corner. And you know, up against a soak side who, you know, behind for that long, um, weren't really able to lay a glove on them. Uh, it was just one shot on target from from Stoke throughout the game. It wasn't like Luton created a great deal either. Corley Woodrow, Woodrow missed their best opportunity. But it was just a really pr- professional, effective performance where despite spending that long in front, they were very comfortable in front and they, they didn't let Stoke really trouble them at all. And um, I think when you're a side who can see out games at home with that ease, uh, it's... Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a sign that you have the staying power. I think to to go pretty deep. You know, they're currently in the playoff spots, and I see no reason why they won't stay there. This is a, a, a prolonged run of form that dates back to the beginning of last season, um, where they're they're a top six side, and Rob Edwards is certainly the person. You know, <laughs> if you look at you know the clubs who've made the decisions here, you have to say that Watford and Southampton, you know, the two clubs who who made the calls that have that triggered this. Um, you know, bizarre uh, merry-go-round. Um, it's, it's it's the ones who profited from from those decisions against them who are, are the benefa- benefactors here. Rob Edwards and Luton Town um, are the two who are enjoying themselves. Not to say that Nathan Jones wouldn't have Luton operating well, but you know, Nathan Jones could well be looking for a new job next week or this week. And I'm pretty sure Luton Town fans don't want it to be theirs. So, um, yeah, and that's it. Given what he's achieved there, that is a, a serious statement from as to what they think of, of Rob Edwards' Uh, early at this at this stage of his reign there I guess the most notable thing and something we spoke about when discussing his appointment was the absolute change in personality from Jones to Edwards and we discussed whether that would be either awkward because it's so different or actually whether if you have someone at one extreme who has had such an imprint on things maybe it is better to go for something very different just to to mix it up rather than having someone just trying to do the same thing Um, uh, and I think so far very very good on that front the the fans are clearly absolutely loving the way that Rob Edwards speaks um, and that's really important you know the way that that a manager represents the club front facing in the media and in interviews is very very important uh, and I think it's been the perfect shift in tone from from Nathan Jones and um, very specifically you know Jones used kind of underdog mentality and underdog-esque statements um, very powerfully and it worked incredibly well. Uh, Rob Edwards, very specifically on the weekend, his quotes were, 
I'm not buying that underdog stuff anymore. I don't like it. Our players don't like it as we've got really good players here that are capable of playing at a very, very good level. And they're showing that now. So I want to knock that away at the moment. We want to be in the mix come those last five games and we've given ourselves a great opportunity. We all feel it. The supporters feel it as well. And I want people to talk about that. I don't care. I'm not shy about saying it. Why not? Let's aim for it and have a good go. He, he does really know the right things to say at the right time. I think we can see that now from Forest Green to Watford and now to Luton. He's absolutely excellent um, at talking, basically, and that is quite important. Uh, Pelly Raddock has now scored in all 10 of his seasons at Kenilworth Road, which is a fabulous stat, particularly when you consider they were playing in the National League when he started playing for them. Thank you to Luton News underscore LTFC uh, for tweeting that and Steve on the NTT20 squad for flagging it. A good win for them. Uh, and Preston won Bristol City 2, George. We saw a continuation of a few recent themes, namely Preston losing at home. That's five in a row now. Uh, Alex Scott doing cool things and uh, the youngster Bell doing goals. Ding, ding, ding. Uh, yeah, it was... Another really poor performance from 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 Preston, who you know got going once um, two 0 down, but poor defending for the first goal, um, which Sykes managed to, to profit from. And then, as you say, a, a brilliant turn um, from from Scott, the awareness to get his head up and pick out the ball to, to Wells, who squared it for Bell. Uh, it does feel like Bristol City have so many kind of energetic blonde strikers uh, in their ranks where um, you know it was Tommy Conway for the first half of the season let's put you in a Bristol City shirt I think that would fit quite well of all the teams for you to play for and you know if you played right wing for them until you actually touch the ball I think everyone would buy that you were just one of their many blonde attackers yeah I can see that I can see that although I'm a bit maybe more rotund than, than most of them um <laughs> Yeah, and then obviously Cornick to, to come in there as well, who's going to have struggle, trouble getting into the side, you'd think. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's been a really important run of games and run of form for, for Bristol City here. Um, I think it's important for Nigel Pearson that he's managed to at least get them to get their attacking mojo back. Um, the goal when it came from Chad Evans was a, was a mistake from O'Leary, spilling a Ryan Edson shot. Um, and... Preston knocked on the door and I think sometimes you'd think this Bristol City side have a pretty soft centre so for them away from home having you know having been 2-0 up conceding a goal in that way to see it out the way they, they did do even though Preston had a few opportunities was was, was pretty big for them um, and I think the the impressive point from my from where I'm sitting is that it's felt to me most of this season certainly last season there was a a wealth of options for Bristol City in attacking areas but it was you know it was Vyman Semenyo Wells Conway early this season, Martin last season. Only of that of that group, only Wells played in the front four here. Um, Sykes playing on the on the right hand side, bat off the left, and, and then Scott playing as a ten, um, with Carl Naismith coming into into holding midfield. Um, there's a, that's a nice balance, and I do think for, for for Scott to get on the ball in more advanced areas has to be a, a, a plus for them because you've got to think that this is probably going to be the last two or three months where we're going to see him in a Bristol City shirt. Yeah, Scott's piece of play. The, the second assist, if you like, fizzing it through to, to Wells, who squared for Bell. I mean, it's just so good. And it's so good because they, I, I genuinely, I'm, I do get carried away with players. I really appreciate uh, and basically love talented players that I enjoy watching. And I'm very open about that. And I like to uh, enjoy it and share my enjoyment of it. And with that sometimes comes, I guess, a bit of 
bias or whatever you want to call it. But like what he's doing, particularly in the last three or four games, is up there with the best performances from someone of his age that I've ever seen um, outside of, of, you know, the superstars of the Premier League when they started their careers. And particularly that moment is the mixture of speed of control and skill to get out of a tight situation and basically just leave perfectly good uh, ball-winning players like kicking thin air. And then the speed of, of thought to get his head up, see the the run from Wells and the speed of the pass itself, both in terms of how quickly he releases it and also the the, the weight on it fizzing off his boot perfectly into into space into the arc of Nicky Wells. It was absolutely unbelievable. And you know, you mentioned that they look a little more solid, and and I think Rob Atkinson should be mentioned here because uh, I I want to mention him alongside Nigel Pearson. I, I was very open in my questioning of Nigel Pearson a few weeks ago, in particular. Um, the way that he manages certain situations and the way that he uses the the press to manage certain delicate situations with players. And Atkinson's position on the bench was very much part of that conversation when Andy King was playing centre-back in front of him. So I think it's worth pointing out uh, that he's back in the team and he's clearly in great form. So well done to Rob Atkinson, but well done to Nigel Pearson as well. I don't know the ins and outs of that situation, but clearly it's had a, a pretty good outcome now uh, even if for a couple of matches it looked like it was um, causing problems uh, so five defeats in a row for, for Preston uh, not great fun for the match going fans that uh, you have to hope that's something that will turn around soon I mean, the mad thing is it's that classic situation of like any set of fans that have watched their team lose five games in a row at home would think and would be justified in thinking that their team is pretty bad and Preston are 11th four points off the playoffs have won as many games as they've lost this season. They're not that bad. It's quite a weird situation. But they, but, but, but having said that, that, I think the fan base basically to a man thought they were pretty bad when they were doing okay early in the campaign. There was like a, this is weird yeah. feeling to it all. So if you think you're not doing particularly, if you don't think you're very good when you're winning and then the results turn, I guess the league table's fairly relevant then because in your mind you've been poor since the season started. Interesting. Well, maybe we should expect them to drop. The like table a, lies, mate. Maybe we should expect them to drop like a stone then. Interesting. Uh, particularly with teams like Hull very much on the up, George. They beat Cardiff 1-0. And Matt Ingram going, what do you mean mm. What do you mean? You signed Carl Darlow on deadline day? These gloves are mine <laughs> and I'll prove it with an ex- excellent penalty save. It feels like there's been a reluctance um, to kind of accept Matt Ingram for being a really good championship goalkeeper from Hull, where... Um, Nathan Baxter was brought in last season, um, was the number one, but Ingram had one of the best goals prevented ratio in the whole league um, when he did play. And then the same this season, Baxter's gone back to Chelsea, they've moved to bring in Darlow. You can't imagine Darlow's come to Hull to be second fiddle to Ingram, but um, I think he's going to have to get the gloves now because that was not only a really important penalty save from from Callum Robinson, but it was a very good one as well. It was a, a, a good penalty from Robinson, hit well hard into the corner um, but Ingram not only guessed right but managed to to get there and put off the save and that is you know a really important moment for for Hull who I still maintain can achieve anything this season it definitely wasn't one of their best performances um, under Rossinia you know I think Cardiff um, restricted them to to, to, to little um, although the, the goal itself from Cyrus Christie was a, a real bit of quality um, twisting and turning in the box before delivering a, a brilliant left foot to finish into the far corner um, He's been amazing recently hasn't he? Yeah I mean th- I think the, the performance level of most of their squad has been very good since since Rossini came in um, as I say that the you know the Connolly Estupinian 
uh, front two wasn't as effective as it has been um, in, in its infancy uh, here, but you know, an important 1-0 win. And they're just not far off the playoffs at this stage, Hull. Um, I'm one of the informed teams in the league who look defensively very solid and, and like they've got plenty of attacking threat as well. Yeah, Christie's probably been Hull's best attacking player recently from, from right back. So good going forward. He seems to, yeah, just number of occasions recently where he has entered the penalty box on that right-hand side, rinsed a defender 1v1 and then provided a goal or an assist. And for your right-back to be doing that is unbelievably valued because there aren't many who, who have that ability in the opposition penalty box. Um, three draws in the champ. Millwall won, Sunderland won. Good for Millwall, uh, Sunderland rather to come back from behind. Not a lot of teams do that at the den. Um, good heart and great head from Sirkin who got absolutely whacked and was pretty much sparked out from that. So hopefully he is recovering and not too affected by that. He's been out for a while, comes back, scores a big goal. The 21 under 21 star, Dennis Serkin. Uh, Huddersfield won, QPR won, and Reading 2, Watford 2 finished off the championship weekend. Well, not quite, Blackburn v Wigan. Uh, on Monday night, just a couple of hours after recording that one live on the box. If you listen in time, make sure you get it on. Sean Maloney's first game in charge uh, of Wigan. George in League One. Chills. 33,000 fans for a League One game. Sensational. Thank you to Joe Cran, who posted that video on Twitter at YesWeCran. And George, Wednesday, getting the job done. George Ellican hitting the top of League One as a result. A significant game in League One. What did you make of it? Huge game. And, um, you know, let's look at this from each team's point of view. Firstly, Sheffield Wednesday, um, a, a brilliant finish from Patterson. And again, kind of similar to what I was saying about the Luton game, um, where you go waddle up early in a massive game. It's the way that you manage it, which is the most telling thing to me as to a side's quality. And they were the better side throughout the game. They were the more likely team to score the second goal. They thought they'd scored a second goal through George Byers. Some controversy over whether or not it should have been disallowed. To be honest, I couldn't care less. You know, I think if if the game finishes one all, then we we talk about it. But they've won the game one nil. Um, I can see why it was disallowed. Whether it should have taken forty five seconds, honestly, who cares? Um, but they were they they were superb throughout the way they man- they managed the game, especially given the Argyle, you know, defensive overperformance. We know that, but they're a side who often create plenty. And until Sam Cosgrove came in, they. They barely created anything in the game, uh, apart from a free kick in the first half. Um, from Plymouth Argyle's point of view, I think they can be pretty happy with how they um, with how they played. You know, they didn't create a great deal, but they stuck at it and went close um, a couple of times late on, especially the, the long-range strike that was tipped over the bar from Cosgrave by Dawson. Um, but the key thing here is, is quite clearly the injuries, and that is 
you know, not conceding three points to a promotion rival, in my mind, the loss certainly of Cooper and also potentially of Scar um, is going to have the biggest bearing on, on what happens to them this season because Cooper, you know, Schumacher came out after the game and said, we've lost the heart of our centre defence, we've lost our best player, our keeper. And, you know, I, some people might question whether or not a goalkeeper can be your best player, but I think in Argyle's case, it, it's painfully obvious that he has been, that he is the, the player for Argyle this season who has won them the most points, bar none. And you can include Whitaker, Mumba, players who scored big goals at big times in that. Cooper's been the one who's enabled them to be where they are. Um, I looked this morning, there seemed to be no news as to what the extent of the injury is. There seemed to be some concern that it could be a ligament because you see the way he goes down when he's backpedalling and, and he holds his knee. And then the fact that he walks off as well, which we've seen many um, footballers in the past who, who have ligament injuries do so. Um, and that would be a catastrophe for Argyle and, and for Cooper, a, a player who, as I've said before, I'm pretty convinced he's a Premier League keeper now um, and next season, whether it be for Argyle in the Championship or, or if he'd move on, he was going to be a, a star wherever he went. And then for Scar, who's been just an inspired signing from 18 months ago, you know, the, the rock of the heart of, of defence, to lose both of them at the same time. You know, I, I looked on the, when I was trying to find out the... The uh, extent of the injuries, I looked on the Argyle forum and I saw some saying, you know, if any if, if any team can can cope with these losses with such a, a unit, it'll be us. And I was like, well, I get that and massive credit to you, but I, I can scarcely think of a player more important to a team than, than Cooper and then to lose the, the centre-back as well is, is going to be tough. So fingers crossed for them that there's good news around the corner because, you know, otherwise, especially with memories of what happened at the back end of last season for Argyle, with those two out for a significant amount of time, it's not just, you know, can we win the league? I guess you're suddenly looking at how far clear are we of the of the playoffs and the rest of it, uh, which would be very, very sad to see them, them fall away. Uh, yeah, just going back to the game, I, I was impressed with a few things for Wednesday. Firstly, Patterson's goal, I think is, and you said it yourself, so I'm not saying you don't think this, but it is a fabulous finish from Count Patterson. Like, I think that's a real sort of connoisseur's football finish because it's not particularly sexy and that it doesn't fly into the top corner and I think if it had been scored at the other end with the cross from the right people would love it even more because his body would have been open to where the camera was you'd have you'd have appreciated the swivel a little bit more but that ball is behind him and to hit a ball on the volley from behind you or at least the half volley I can't remember if it had bounced or not and to, to manage to wrap your foot around it to divert it towards the goal um, at such speed as well it's Ah, it's 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 a touch of class from Callum Barrison. Absolutely loved it. It was also their first shot of the game. Brilliant to get ahead like that in a game of this magnitude. Volks had gone out wide to take the the long throw, but Argyle just switched off a little bit. A little short one that he took instead meant that he was 2v1, him and Byers, and, and he was able to work that crossing opportunity. And I think from an Argyle point of view, it's a it, it doesn't seem like a massive thing, but it's got to be a frustrating thing to allow a cross to come in from the right-hand side with so many packing the box like that. Um, a sensational finish, particularly to get it past a Premier League quality goalkeeper in, in Cooper. Um, I'm very worried about his knee. Uh, the quotes from afterwards was, was that it, it doesn't look too good, um, but they'll get a scan this week. I would describe the winner's about as comfortable as, as you can get uh, in a game like this. You, you know, you mentioned the fact that it was Wednesday that, that thought they'd scored a second goal, albeit it was, it was chalked off. They were probably more likely to do so. Um, they defended the counter-attacks really well. That was an area where I felt like 
Argyle could hurt them, given how good they are sometimes just, just breaking quickly and playing quick balls over the top, particularly when Hardy's on the pitch. Um, as it was, Wayne, the, the Kiwi striker, started and didn't get any change out of the back three, and neither did the changes when they came on. So I think Flint coming straight in deserves some credit. Um, Peter on the squad said at one point he headed the ball about 50 yards, which really made me chuckle. Um, and he, he almost had a goal himself, I believe. But Dom Iorfa, I think, is going to make a big difference when we're talking about defending transition attacks. You know, to have, if you want like a ball winner like Flint there, You've got Palmer, who kind of gives you that that extra quality on the ball, being a kind of a fullback type who can um, step forward into midfield and, and combine in wide areas, which can really help. But I think Iorfa is the one who you just have sweeping up, you know, who can cover ground so quickly and, and, and put out fires, if you like. So it's Ipswich away for Sheffield Wednesday on Saturday. First, uh, travelling to third and the outcome's going to be big either way, isn't it? If Wednesday win, it'll be nine points between them with a game in hand, which will feel a massive gap. If they draw, it'll be six points with a game in hand, which I dare say will still feel very big. But if they lose three points with a game in hand, it'll start to feel uh, tight again. For for Argyle, not a terrible performance. Uh, Certainly not their best of the season either. I think if they can... They need to chalk this down as, you know what, it's our—it's the toughest match that we will have and have had this season. They've lost it 1-0. They've already played the rest of the top four away from home already, so it doesn't get any tougher than that. Um, and, uh, you know, they need to refocus with whoever is available. As an aside, George, Argyle's website used a word that I, I actually don't know how you say it out loud, so I'm wondering if you do. That described the atmosphere as F-E-B-R-I-L-E. Now, would you say febrile or febrile? Febrile, I think. Interesting. It does mean having or showing the symptoms of a fever, which makes me think it would be that longer E. But but the secondary definition is the one that... This is why I just loved it. It's so perfect. Characterised by a great deal of nervous excitement or energy. The febrile atmosphere um, at Hillsborough. It was an incredible... Febrally Maxwell should be your name. Okay. I can't think of the last time I had a fever. Thanks very much sectionally healthy no the, the second definition oh right <laughs> nervous excitement or energy what you what mate yeah <laughs> <laughs> don't know what you're talking about um george uh, this result means both teams are now on 61 points wednesday having played a game less and with the better goal difference six points back now are ipswich town they drew at cambridge they did yeah and it was a pretty poor performance from um town as well and it could have been worse went one nil down um to a, a a brilliant long-range strike from from Harvey Harvey Nibs, uh, and then they should have could have conceded a second. Uh, Christian Walton saving the penalty um, to to prevent them from going two 0 down in the first half. Um, they were better-ish in the second half. You know, when Adapo scored, I think probably all of us expected Town to go on and not run riot, but certainly put a, an out-of-form Cambridge side to the sword. But they didn't really do that. They didn't. It wasn't their usual. Normally, when we talk about Ipswich dropping points to, to lowly opposition, um, it's a case of Missing loads of chances. Um, not really the case here. Uh, I think their expected goals was just over one. Um, failed to create anything of, of real note. And um, yeah, I think it, it's it's a really interesting situation at Ipswich now where I still personally think Kieran McKenna is a very exciting young manager um, and probably as good as you're really going to get at League One level in terms of sending out a team who are consistently performing at a, at a high level. But there's no denying that they have the squad that should be probably top of the league, I would say. No offence to Wednesday fans. Um, you know, the fact that you are top it just shows the incredible work that Darren Moore is doing. Um, 
yeah, the theme with, with Ipswich seems to be just the consistent dropping of, of, of points unnecessarily. Now, this is a huge game for them on Saturday. Um, at home, this is their last opportunity to kind of, I would say, keep their automatic promotional promotion chances in their hands. Because even though Argyle came away from that game with, you know, with without a point and, and have two key players injured, you know, if if Ipswich beat Sheffield Wednesday on um, on on Saturday and Plymouth Argyle beat Pompey at home, then we're basically back to where we were before the weekend, uh, with all three teams vying for those two spots. But if, as you say, if Wednesday can beat Ipswich, then Ipswich is suddenly going up to a shootout with Argyle and probably Derby for second. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, it, in my mind, no Ipswich fan should be pointing the finger squarely at McKenna, but you can't deny that the process has to yield results fairly soon before um, things could get fairly uncomfortable for him because there aren't really really any excuses from his part as to why they shouldn't finish in the top two. Mm, the ebbs and flows of a, of a, of a second half of an EFL season, of a promotion tilt, it's, it's excellent. It's absolutely excellent. Uh, Nibs' strike was so delicious. This was a goal where we had the perfect camera angle, where it was on the perfect side of the pitch um, to see him, you know, hit across the ball, keep it low, start it outside of the post and and swinging uh, back in towards it. No chance for the goalkeeper whatsoever. I should say Walton's penalty save was excellent as well. I dare say, you know, of all keepers, to, to be able to reach a shot into the bottom corner, Walton's right up there in, in League One terms, but Nibs' strike was just um, pure quality. And, and he's a player that I like. He's a player that four or five times this season has done something pretty magnificent to contribute to a goal, whether it was him scoring or assisting or being part of a good move. And I wonder how much more we can expect from him. He's he's one of those guys that you look at when he does things like this and, and, and other bits and bobs, you think, okay, that there looks like there's a serious player in here. I wonder how far off he is um, or, or whether it's a circumstantial thing, whether Nibs is the type of player who, if he was playing at the top end of League One, would he stand out more? I'd be interested to hear from any um, Cambridge United fans that are listening about Nibs, him as a player, just trying to understand him a little bit better and what we think his ceiling could be, what his strengths and his weaknesses are. Because, you know, for, I think it was opening day, he scored a really, a really nice goal and that kind of caught my eye. Since then, feels like once a month you see him do something epic. Um, but maybe not quite as consistently as as you might like. Let me know, uh, Cambridge fans, at NTT20pod, at Ali Maxwell underscore. Be good to hear from you on that. Uh, Derby beat Morecambe 5-1. Sort of felt for Morecambe a little bit here because they were doing pretty well until first half injury time. Derby hadn't created a huge amount. Um, And is there much you can do about a McGoldrick free kick that is just so beautifully placed into the corner another one that's basically starts outside the post and then curls right perfectly inside the post into the side netting you can't save those um there's not a lot you can do when a player has has the quality like this and it means george that didzy who had never scored a single career hat trick has scored three so mad three in a season uh all in all this his hat trick technically took about six minutes worth of match action as well his first came in the in the uh 45th plus something or other and his third came in the 50th uh, after that it was attack v defense 18 shots to one in the second half and, and four more derby goals i mean yeah derby at the moment look to be um at least on a par with the better teams in the in the division in terms of their, their performances and, and the way they're able to to absolutely blitz teams um i loved that having got his hat trick did he let james collins take the uh the second penalty or maybe james collins let did he take the first penalty but what i did i mean in the celebration you see um collins running over to Didzy and screaming in his face it's like a thank you which i thought was a a really nice <laughs> touch um but it was, yeah, I mean, it was as dominant a 
you are right, up until the first goal, there wasn't a great deal between the two. But as soon as Derby went ahead and, and Morecambe had to come out a bit, um, they ran right. Uh, a lovely goal from um, double EFL 21 under 21 um, star, uh, Jason Knight, for the, mm. the, the for the fifth goal. More of that, please, Jason. Yeah, I mean, with, with Morecambe, I'm just going to mention it because, you know, we don't know all that's going on. But I'm, I'm a little bit concerned by some of the reports around the prospective takeover um, and I know a lot of fans are as well uh, Sarbjot Joal um, a 20 year old in, in inverted commas tycoon um, who is seemingly some way down the line of, of buying Morecambe no it's not Tyson Fury um, there have been some interesting threads um, at SST investing I'll point you towards uh, if you want to read up a bit more about it it feels like in our position we should be flagging possible um, issues that clubs could be getting themselves into. And it does, you know, I'm not going to put myself into any legal issue by going into the um, the talk there, but he seems to have uncovered some pretty concerning stuff. And I hope that the EFL and everyone involved at Morecambe is, is ensuring the safeguarding of that club because I know a few fans with what's coming out of feeling a little bit understandably uh, worried about about what is going on behind the scenes. Yeah, absolutely no doubt about that. In, t- in terms of Derby and a uh, temptation to look at the top two and say, why not? Why not, given the form that they're in? Um, I have no major qualms about it. They do look like a bit of a runaway train at the moment. Our interview with Connor Harahan was, I think, quite enlightening because, um, and as so many people kindly pointed out, like the reason we love having Connor on is he is very honest and he doesn't just pay lip service and talk in cliches. He, he's obviously pretty excited, but I, I felt, and I don't know if anyone else did, watching that on YouTube or listening to the, the clips uh, that we had on the end of the pod, I felt he was almost trying to be a bit reserved and he was a bit... It, it was almost, George, as if he was doing that thing where he kind of... He was like, well, if we've won six in a row... <laughs> we're unlikely to win the next 18 in a row. So like we should probably expect a blip at some point. And so it's about trying to manage that by mm. not being surprised if and when it happens, but actually, you know, being kind of on top of things and composed if that does happen. Uh, of course, a 5-0 win after that was only going to make things more excitable. I think the thing to point out with Derby, and you could argue this is good or bad, but they have six games left against teams in the top eight. And five of those six are away. So if you consider those games to be their six biggest games from now to the end of the season, five of them away from home, including both the top two, Argyle and Wednesday. And Derby have only won five of their 14 away games this season, particularly under Warren. They've been pretty good at avoiding defeat away from home, but they haven't won very many games. And if they are going to chase down, particularly that top two, you know, matches between those those two teams are where you're going to need them to win in order to start slicing the gap um, effectively. So they, they do need to be pretty impeccable away from home uh, from this point if they're going to make the top two. They've got Wickham and Barnsley away in their next four games, so that'll be a pretty good test. But with, with Warren in charge, with the hold that he has over this squad, as explained by Connor, um, I think there's certainly a chance. Uh, Bolton, they're doing well, George. They're setting pretty high standards in those playoff places as well. 13 hours without conceding at home now. A 1-0 win against Cheltenham. It made kind of heavy weather of it, but Kyle Dempsey rattling home the winner from range. Yeah, brilliant goal. Um, you say heavy, making heavy weather of it, and it was, certainly wasn't easy. But one of my biggest stances at the moment is that I think Cheltenham are, are due a good run because I think that they are consistently performing pretty well against difficult opposition and not really getting their due for those performances. So 
it's one of those games where on paper I think Cheltenham at home looks like an easy three points for a team like Bolton I think in reality it's actually quite a good three points and, and they're quite a hard team to break down and as you say it was you know they were good value for the win but it was a, a late long-range strike that, that got them over the line and Wade Elliott I'm sure will be hoping for um, an improvement in their fortunes fairly soon um, and I'm sure it probably will come but, but in terms of an important three points and you know you talk about Derby possibly crashing the party towards the top end I know that um, Bolton have played a couple more games but in terms of pure points they're, they're not far off it either three wins for Darren Ferguson in three games at Peterborough that's pure points if you want them uh, they beat Forest the Deferg Derby yeah the Deferg Derby at Forest Green 2-0 win for Posh uh, three games three wins two scored in each game for Deferg the senior um, they didn't really get going here until an hour or so ago Forest Green go really that's so late <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been two days. It's been two days. Don't see a lot of two p.m. kickoffs on a Monday in the EFL, but uh, I guess that's I guess that's the sort of thing that happens at Forest Green, George. They do things differently. They do things differently. Yes, I think Forest Green basically, and this might change as Ferguson gets his feet under the table. But but broadly, how I see Forest Green games for the most part this season is that they they play fine. I don't think they play really badly. I don't think they've got a very strong squad for the level. I think they play mostly fine for some of the game, but I just don't think they're quite good enough. Uh, defensively, they seemed a bit more sturdy than before until the hour mark, but it wasn't quite enough and they conceded two goals. That's been pretty typical this season. Uh, going forward, just struggling to create anything particularly meaningful, don't have a huge amount of like reliable avenues of attack, um, and certainly not consistent, and, and that was the case here as well. So 2-0 win for, for Posh. Um, Clark Harris on the score sheet as well. Last couple of weeks, he's just eased away at the top of the League One goalscorer charts. Um, the penalties do help, I think it's fair to say. And I hope, I hope that everyone who watched EFL 21 Under 21 version 1 and has wondered since then why Nathaniel Ogbetta has not played any football, I hope everyone noticed the beautiful teasing cross that he put in in the build-up to that first goal, which underlines why, maybe, wrongly, I was we were pretty excited about him this time last year because I do think he can do some decent bits going forward from the left side, which uh, isn't a uh, yeah isn't a particularly deep pool of talent in the EFL. Anyway, good win for Posh. Three out of three for Darren Ferguson, getting themselves back towards the playoff picture. Uh, Port Vale nil, Wickham three. They're doing the same, George. No Anis Mometi. No problem this time. No, and uh, so much quality. Gareth McCleary did his best uh, Anis Mameti impression with the um, with the third goal, uh, getting the ball on that left-hand channel, a couple of jinks and then a, a beautiful finish uh, into the far corner. Uh, having, you know, I think probably Jack Stevens will um, regret not standing a bit bigger and a bit taller, um, but Port Vale have been a, a tricky opponent for, for most teams this season, but Wickham went there and, and absolutely battered them. Full full value for their 3-0 for their win. Uh, I know Vale fans were, were really angry with the, the performance that they put in. Um, some injury problems at the moment. Um, but, you know, for a team who are sitting fairly close to the playoffs to get beat 3-0 at home um, is a bit of a step back for them. But but Wickham certainly showing that even without Mometi, um, their bid to return to the championship, maybe an unlikely bid, um, continues to, to truck on because if they continue playing like that they'll have no problem getting into the top six bit of a statistical quirk which uh, which we discovered on NTT20 squad this week Peter Lohman sharing the news that on transfer marks you can now filter league tables 
by certain in-game time periods, which is a bit of fun. Uh, so my first thought there was to check the first 30 minutes of matches because, you know, if, if one of your big things is how do teams cope having gone one it up, how do they manage it from there? One of my big things is what are teams like at nil-nil? Because I think that's one of mine the too. most important <laughs> score. Uh, I think statistically we know that the first... The team that scores first wins around 70% of football matches. So that first goal is worth quite a lot of points. So it made sense for me to check that. And the big, big, big outlier across all three divisions is Port Vale, who, if the games this season in the league stopped on 30 minutes, out of 28 games, uh, 11 of them, they're behind. So that's 40% of their matches they are behind after half an hour. And not once have they been ahead. <laughs> They've only scored... Two wow. goals in the first half an hour of matches. They were both in the first two months of the season. One of them was an equaliser from an early goal they'd conceded and the other was an early goal they scored, which was cancelled out before half an hour. Um, they haven't scored in the first half an hour of a game in Neen. Um, and this is very peculiar, mainly because they're nine points above the relegation zone. They haven't been threatened with it really all season. And, you know, they've only just come up from League Two. So it's not like they've been a bad team at all. But the first goal is so important and they're so bad at it. And I, I don't really understand that. But this is, there's a wider there's a wider point to that where, I mean, I think they've kind of regressed a bit now, but early in the season, they were one of the big data outliers where they were being flagged up early on. as like, oh, Port Vale are quite good. But a massive part of that will be because they're behind so often in games. You know, over the course of the season, that's going to level out a little bit. But if you've got a team who are basically, you know, starting games often... 1-0 down after half an hour, then naturally they're going to dominate more often uh, over the course of the game in terms of chances created. So there is a wider point here and it's something that, you know, we don't talk about very often, but, well, maybe we do talk about it quite often, but it's how, you know, stats have to be taken through the prism of, you know, you have to, you know, weight it based on on what's actually going on in the game state involved. And, and with Port Vale, you know, if they're, if they're struggling to go ahead in games, then that is going to impact everything that we see in terms of their underlying numbers. Uh, what else have we got? In in the playoff picture, uh, Portsmouth won, Barnsley won. Barnsley flew out the traps here in the first half an hour. It was Macy keeping Pompey in it. He's been a good addition to their squad since uh, the end of January. And then Pompey grew into it. We're probably the better side in the second half. A great take from Colby Bishop. Um to put them ahead and then some great refereeing controversy with Barnsley uh, essentially scoring a goal half a second after the referee had blown for a free kick to them on the edge of the box therefore uh, ignoring the uh, potential for advantage um, thankfully I guess in a sense they did get a goal right at the end um, flicked on from a long throw from Bobby Thomas so they didn't lose out on the points completely but um, pretty disappointing I think it's fair to say and down at the bottom George where I'm saying welcome to the Hunger Games um, I consistently believe that the League One relegation battle, and specifically League Ones, because there's four spots, not three, or two, as is the case in League Two, is consistently one of the more bonkers bits of the EFL from February onwards. So here we go. Um, some pretty significant results. None more so maybe than Fleetwood 2, Burton 3. George closes the gap between the two teams. Fleetwood now having lost six of their last seven, only two points above the zone now. It'll 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 suck itself towards you if you let it. Amazing turnaround from Burton though, who put in a couple of the worst performances we'd seen of any club in the whole EFL back to back a couple of weeks ago, um, and then beat Oxford at home two 0 and then go to Fleetwood and somehow find a way to win three two despite conceding an injury time to to, to ten men. Um, I couldn't really see the Josh Feller incident. I'm not entirely sure what happened on the far side there in front of the dugouts. Um, but yeah, I mean, in this game, 
Marriott and Stockley link up well for the first goal. I personally think that when you are a League One side threatened with, with relegation to League Two, is going out and spending quite a lot of money on two strikers in you know who have both had some injury issues, uh, who are both deemed basically surplus to requirements by two fellow League One sides. Is that a particularly clever way to recruit? Uh, I don't think so. It's given them a goal, mate. Marriott squared it for Stockley it's for one. Given them so. one goal. Yeah, yeah, and that, but I guess that's it. They are hoping that by bringing in two players of proven quality, taking value for money basically out of it. I'm, I'm pretty sure both Posh and um, Charlton would have been over the moon to get the fees that they got for those two players in Jan. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure it's the best way to go about trying to stay up in my mind um, especially for a team who's I think recruited pretty well over the last um, six to eight months in the summer anyway but um, yeah Burton um, having been ped back it looked, looked like Omashere had got the, the, the point for, for Fleetwood with a really good finish into the far corner only for a, a very weird goal very late on Charlie Kirk on his debut for Burton having signed on deadline day um, until the end of the season um, managing to to kind of get the ball I was going to say poke at home from the edge of the area, but I don't know if that's physically possible, but you know what I mean. It was one of those where the keeper had come out, there were two players in between him and the and the, um, and the the goal line, and he managed to thread it through. Um, so for Burton, invaluable points at this stage after that difficult run of games and, and Fleetwood edge ever closer. And it's, I, I mean, the, the whole relegation picture is mad in League One because um, you've got Forest Green who are bottom and have played quite a lot of games. You know, I think they've played 30 games. And then the only team upwards from there who play 30 games are Oxford. And in between that, you've got a lot of teams with a lot of games in hand. You know, Accrington in 23rd have played 26 games compared to Oxford's 30. If Accrington were to win all four of those games, they would overtake Oxford in 15th. So, I mean, that's not going to happen. But but, but in terms of, of, of looking at how high do you have to go for this relegation picture, I mean, any Oxford fan right now will tell you that they think that absolutely in um you know that they're, they're right in the mire right now and i i'd be really interested to see you know a weighted ppg table um at the bottom of league one now taking into account strength of opposition played uh, as well as um as well as uh points per game because i think that would paint a, a very very different picture to what the the table looks like now mm. Eight teams are between 29 and 21 points. Four go down, four survive. You've mentioned uh, Oxford there. They are uh, six points above that group of teams, albeit having played more games. In, uh, just below them are Lincoln, who are one point back from Oxford. and They've played three games fewer than Oxford, and they're feeling good, George, after a 3-0 win at Accrington, in which the main takeaway, if I'm honest, was how bad Accrington looked. Weird, wasn't it? Yeah, it's one of the worst performances I think we've seen in League One uh, for a long time, probably all season, to go up against a relegation candidate rival at home, um, just completely at odds with what we normally see from John Coles, Accrington. They were lethargic, they were poor, they couldn't create anything, they were cut through at will, the defending, especially for the first goal, was non-existent. Um, yeah, a, a really, really poor display from Accrington. Um, and, you know, credit where credit's due for Lincoln, you know, they'll say that they made Accrington look poor, which is fair. Um, but, yeah, Lincoln's recent away record is is so bad. So for them to turn up to Accrington and, and, and be the dominant side by that far and, and fully justifying the 3-0 scoreline is, is a damning indictment of Accrington. Yep. So as I say, 
they won't win those four games in half. <laughs> yeah, the nature of that first goal in particular is, is pretty unforgivable stuff, I'd say. Uh, they've lost 10 of their last 15, Accrington. The good news is they've got games in hand, as mentioned, but with a squad that's not exactly blessed with depth, that can feasibly cause problems as well in, in late March, early April, when the schedule is pretty unforgiving, um, as much as it can also provide obvious opportunities to pick up points. Uh, Lincoln hadn't won in eight before this, so this was a very, very welcome win, albeit five of those were draws, which kind of sums up their season so far. One of the drawiest seasons you'll ever find, um, particularly at home, where Lincoln City are still unbeaten, having won two games at home until back this season. It's of all the quirks, of all the seasons, this has got to be up there. Uh, unbeaten at home at Cinsalbank, and yet only four or five teams have picked up fewer home points than them. Uh, Teddy Bishop, so classy, nice goal from him. Um, and yeah, I just want to see them finish the season with some confidence. Uh, first, if you split their season in half, Lincoln, they were around 1.5 points per game in their first 14 and just one PPG in their next 13. So I want to know what happens in the final third of the season. I want them to be back towards that one and a half points per game and uh, winning games like this, you know, more regularly. Uh, Bristol Rovers nil, MK Dons two. This one most memorable for some wonderful petty sniping back and forth between the media teams uh which was kind of the the backdrop to it and the and the post drop as well with lots of great tweets after the game from the MK Dons account um in the game they scored a third minute penalty uh they restricted a previously a very good attacking team to very little um, although Bristol Rovers performance seems to have dropped off quite a lot in the last couple of weeks and then scored on the break at the end with uh, the youngster Dean getting his first goal having joined from Leeds in January so the relegation battle is quite nuts uh, George I don't believe that Oxford will get sucked into it but I can see why the fans aren't feeling as confident as that at this stage a 1-0 defeat to Shrews who have now won five league games in a row the only EFL teams to win more matches in a row this season. Burnley, Norwich, Sheffield Wednesday, Derby, Portsmouth and Leighton Orient. Yeah, I would say that Oxford are in it now, if I'm honest. Um, I, I, I'm not saying I think they'll get relegated, but I think if you, again, if you if you change the table just to be points per game, Oxford are in that clutch of teams. So I think it might be too late to say they won't get sucked into it. Whether you think they might get out of it fairly soon is, is another question. Um, Shrewsbury by their own fans' admission, will admit that they were not very good on, on Saturday. Um, they especially struggled in the first half an hour. Oxford, by far the better team. It felt for the first time in a long time like watching Oxford was like watching the, the, the previous teams, you know, the teams under Kai Robinson who, whilst they may not have achieved promotions, at least were committed to playing attacking football and scoring lots of goals. Just the goal didn't come. Uh, Marcus McGuane playing in a, a much more advanced role, really impressed. It was his best performance of the season in my eyes. And had a, a, a good shot saved by Morosi. Carl Joseph hit the post. And it felt like a matter of time until Oxford got the goal. But as is always the case with teams who are lacking confidence out of form, the longer it stayed nil-nil, the more Shrewsbury got into it. And um, Bloxham had a shot tipped onto the bar by, by Eastwood. Uh, and then the goal itself was like, foot, like the one moment of real quality in the game. Coming off the back of a really, really scrappy um, inability from Oxford to, to clear... Uh, to clear their lines, a, a really weak Brandon Fleming header. The shot then fell at the feet of Phillips, and Phillips then engineered this unbelievable reverse, like outside of his right boot, reverse pass, flicked through to Bowman, who finished first time. It was a brilliant bit of um, inventive, uh, creative play, and then a very smart finish as well that won the game. And Oxford only had one shot, for, you know, having had 16 shots in the game, hit the post, six on target, having been, then going 1 0 down, failed to create 
basically anything. I think Tyler Smith had one headed shot from a set piece in injury time and that was it. Um, we know that Steve Cottrell is very adept at setting up his, his shrewd side when they're 1-0 up and that was the case here. So, yeah, I mean, I, I still would be incredibly surprised if, if Shrewsbury are challenging for the playoffs come the end of the season. They absolutely are now and, you know, that's not just... Um, you know, a bitter fan whose his team is lost saying that. I, I I think the quality gap is, is is still there, and I think they've been fairly fortunate in a way to play five of the worst teams, possibly the worst teams in the league in, in terms of current performance levels in a row. Um, but all credit to them for winning all five. And um, yeah, and for Oxford now, I mean, there's no suggestion that Carl Robinson is any closer to leaving. There was arguments and not far off being physical confrontations in the in the in the crowd at full time on Saturday fans arguing amongst each other a lot of fans staying away at the moment big pockets of of you know of, of seats that are that are empty um the whole place is is very very toxic right now and um yeah i mean it feels like despite new ownership coming in and, and progress being made on the stadium um matters on the field are being left to their own devices with no real plan of how to stop the slide. Well, last word to Shrews, where, where Steve Cottrell was doing an astoundingly good job. I think it, it always bears repeating. Uh, they're now six points away from last season's total uh, with 17 games left. And I think on the budget that they have, the main realistic objective is is improvement on the year before. And I'd be very surprised if they got fewer than six points from 17 games. So I think we can expect them to be moving in the right direction. Uh, Exeter lost at home to Charlton 2-1. Uh, and I wonder if George Dobson watched our team of the season video in which I picked him in my team, a great uh, compliment, and then also said, I think we know by now that Dobson's not a great passer, that his passing range isn't brilliant, and that can hold him back at times. Well, well, what a ball over the top for Raksaki. It was the, the footballing equivalent of the, and I took that personally, Michael Jordan meme, um, sublime mm ball over the top into the path of Raksaki making very dangerous out to in run inside the wing back and the finish sublime into the top corner first time on the volley and then a pretty similar goal uh, Luca Ness the centre back with a clip ball over the top and Blackett Taylor making the same out to in run off the left uh, controlled and finished and that was enough for Charlton Exeter to get one, get one back in the first half as well but uh, didn't really do enough in the second half I wouldn't say to, to justify an equalising goal it's four wins in five for Dean Holden and for Charlton, League Two, George, the fourth tier, where there was one very significant result at the top. Leighton Orient beating Wimbledon, particularly significant because they are the only team in the top four to win. So, you know, we were we were suggesting a bit of squeaky bum time this time last week, but the bums are a little smoother now. Yeah, but it wasn't a great display, was it? It wasn't the Leighton Orient sides that we'd seen earlier in the season. I I, I think even if the bums didn't squeak so much on Saturday evening, I, I think there's still some squeaky bum time to come for Orient fans. Um, I mean, it, it was a return to winning ways, but it, it wasn't a return to form from Orient. Nice way of putting mind. it. Thank you very much. Um, AFC Wimbledon played their part. They will feel like they had chances at nil-nil to, to take the lead. Probably the better chances. Ethan Chislett missing the the best of those, ballooning over the bar um, with a lot of time and space in the box. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, when when the goal came um, for Orient, you know, they've been clinical all season. Um, the the run of clean sheets at home, I repeat, I, I just don't think it's been particularly sustainable. This was another case of that. But, you know, especially after the back of a really difficult run, especially where they've really struggled to score, 
to get over the line in a game like this against a, a side who've been in form in AFC Wimbledon, against a side who turned up on the day as well and played well, um, even if the, the performance itself wasn't great, it keeps them top of the league. It, you know, it, it corrects the um, the result, what happened to the table to an extent with, after the Stevenage game, where, you know, the three points they dropped there, they got two back here over this weekend and with those two teams in Carlisle and Northampton we'll get on to in a second also dropping points it, it does just feel significant at this stage of the season that the Orient were able to just claw back what maybe they'd, they'd lost in the last couple of games mm. 18 clean sheets now in their 29 league games 60, 62% clean sheet record um, a stat request for anyone who likes stats uh, Shrewsbury and Southend both kept 23 in 46 games in the 2014-15 season. That's the most that I could find a League Two team having kept in clean sheet terms in the last 10 years. So let me know if there's anyone else. Otherwise, I'm saying uh, 23 is the number to chase. A uh, big part of that is Omar Beckles, who's been appointed the new PFA chair, uh, replacing John Mussinho, who left that role to become the Portsmouth manager. Um, my instant reaction was that looks like a great appointment a great hire and perfect fit um omar beckles is known to be a fantastic human being so i've no doubt that he will be a very very good pfa chair uh elsewhere sutton nil stevenage nil not a lot happened steve evans got booked uh northampton nil walsall nil another match that happened um with a couple of chances not taken for cobblers and i was at gillingham one crawley nil which i'd like to tell you about now Oh, it was my first trip to Priestfield. Uh, I was close to the famous away end, but not in it, sadly. Uh, would have been a perfectly nice day to be uncovered because it was a, a pleasant February afternoon in Kent. Uh, and Jills were one of the four bottom six teams that won this weekend. So it was a big, big weekend down the bottom of League Two. Uh, they played against Crawley. I was expecting a home win. Uh, the bookmakers were expecting a home win. I think both sets of fans were probably expecting a home win. Uh, and that's what we saw. But it wasn't quite as clear-cut. It wasn't quite as, as obvious uh, as I was expecting. It was a good first half with big chances for both teams. Gladwin in particular for Crawley. Um, Jeffries in particular for Gillingham. Jeffries did waste one or two big opportunities. One uh, in terms of a chance for himself, but another when he, he just had to roll a ball across for a tap-in and he completely mishit it and it flew out for a goal kick. Um, yeah, it was quite an entertaining first half. I, I felt that Crawley were better in possession than I was expecting. Um, with Scott Lindsay in charge and as we know, the, uh, the wag me lot, wanted they are looking to play through the thirds and play a possession-based approach but it was much better than it was last time I saw them um, either with Gladwin or Payne dropping deep and picking the ball off the centre-backs um, the full-backs helped quite a lot in terms of pro progressing the ball up the pitch particularly Kellen Gordon didn't always do great things with it when he got in into the final third um, but is able to carry it up there uh, and with Gladwin and Payne both with some quite dangerous long balls over the top, funny enough to wingers making sort of in uh, out to in runs rather. No? Yeah, out to in runs. Um, Ote made some good runs but had some really bad moments on the ball that kind of wasted what, what could have been good opportunities for Crawley. Um, and I was expecting Jills to be good without the ball and kind of basic with it. Uh, but they, they weren't very good without the ball, I didn't think. Um, but they were effective in putting Crawley's defence under pressure. Uh, some very dangerous attacks came with balls up into Hawkins and then him either winning the knockdown or second balls landing at the feet of their midfielders who break forward very, very quickly. They weren't 
that great without it. I, I was surprised at how easily Crawley were able to get uh, in and around their box. This is in the first half in particular. It did change in the second half. Um, and Nichols and, and Hawkins are an interesting front too because it's obviously working well. Nichols is scoring a lot of goals in particular, but they strike me as quite an awkward, awkward partnership in terms of their obvious skill set. Um, I sort of feel like both of them would be better suited playing with a pacey striker that wants to run in behind someone maybe like Abrahams who came off the bench but uh, they're making it work at the moment that's for sure but I don't, I don't think Nichols is great fit to run in behind off Hawkins I think you do need a threat in behind um, nor do I think Hawkins is a great target for Nichols's through balls so it's a funny one it's a funny one uh, Crawley even in the first half the one thing that was never convincing was at the back um, dealing with Gillingham's aerial threat they did not do enough to win their aerial duels or clear the second balls um particularly the long throws and, and that was their downfall right at the start of the second half long throw into the box not cleared uh initial amazing save from Adai straight to the feet of Williams who tapped in so that was kind of it uh after that it was at nil nil it was quite an interesting game at one nil it wasn't particularly. Gillingham managed the game very, very well. The confidence they got from being ahead, they they preserved it uh, and Crawley didn't have either the ideas or the quality or the mentality to, to come back from that point. So good win for Gills. It's 10 points in four games for them. Um, sort of a bit annoying in a sense for them that three of the other bottom six won. So um, not too much ground made up in, in the league table uh, compared to some of them, but even beating Crawley uh, and, and slashing three points off the gap between those two teams is very, very significant. Other winners at the bottom. George Doncaster nil, Hartlepool won. What? Oh, I know. Welcome to the radar, 22-year-old <laughs> Daniel Dodds. What a fun goal that was to win it. Yeah, signed from Borough early in the window, um, getting his first goal for the club. You say a fun finish, or did you just say fun goal? But I thought it was a really fun assist from Josh Umara. Yeah. With a kind of weird hooked, like standing overhead kick um, inside his own half, which Dodds then ran onto and, and finished really well. Um, Donny fans already expressing some pretty significant um, unrest over the management of, of Schofield. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, he's having a tough season, old Danny Schofield, since being appointed Huddersfield manager in the summer. Um, yeah, that's three defeats on the bounce now uh, against Leighton Orient, Mansfield, and, and I think a home defeat against the relegation favourites means that things have really turned. Um, you know, I've, I've been pretty consistent all season in saying I don't think it's a squad of, of, of particular quality. Um, I think maybe expect, pre-season expectations was at odds with um, with what they've actually got to play with. But yeah, it's been a shocking season mm. for them um, and there was very little in this to really get overly excited by. Uh, I mean, their defence was certainly at odds with Dodds. That's for sure. Who nice. scampered clear. Great quote on his Wikipedia page about his... Um, sort of youth career at Middlesbrough, where it says, although the club's strength at right-back blocked his progress into the first team, he caught the eye of manager Neil Warnock, who said, I like Dodsey, the right-back. I think he'll make a good living. <laughs> Perfect. That's good. Well, he's made a good start to his Pools career. That's three wins in their last five away games. That was where they were so uh, poor at the start of the season. They still have a lot of work to do, though, Hartlepool. You know, they need to... I think I've said this after the last two away wins. I'm not sure there's much about the way they're winning games that, that makes me confident they can win lots more, but still crucial points. Um, Carlisle, nil. Harrogate, one. George. 
ridiculous. The old win a game without a shot on target. Yeah, I mean, for Carlisle having been on such a such a good run um, here, quite clearly the the better side in the game, um, and it, it felt like the kind of game where if Harrogate were to score, it was going to have to be something ridiculous and ridiculous it was. Uh, before I saw the goal, I was looking on Saturday afternoon through all the shot maps just to get kind of an idea of um, of what had happened in the game. So when you see uh, the own goal coming from 25 yards out into the corner I was like I'm looking forward to seeing this um, yeah, it was a moment that Paul Huntingdon um, will not want to see again uh, it, it looks so innocuous as well I mean it looks do like you think if you did Thomas that, Holy's you wouldn't want to see it again I think I'd want to see it again just once I don't twice. know I mean I, want, I wonder if he has um, it, but it's weird because he's not really under that much pressure it looks like Thomas Holy's kind of showing for it and then he just must get the pass completely wrong um, and misplace it by five yards and it rolls into the bottom left-hand corner. Um, Harrogate will take it. For Carlisle, it's an incredible way to put a dent in your merry march towards automatic promotion. So how they how they bounce back from this um, with a couple of difficult games now away at AFC Wimbledon then hosting um, Mansfield will be interesting. Newport, they beat Swindon 2-1. I think Jody Morris in his first game as a senior manager could have done without a 15-minute red card uh, but such is life uh, Graham Coughlin absolutely needed this so you know there's a yin and a yang yeah. uh, six without a win before this for Newport where they dropped off quite significantly from his first month or so a um, couple of nice assists for Lewis here one lovely deep cross headed home by Norman and then a, a, a really good run in behind surprised the defence and beat the offside trap uh, and then a smart unselfish square ball for, for the tap in as well remember Graham Kavanagh Stoke and Cardiff midfielder among others Always, Very well. always looked like a real hard man. Um, his son, Callum. He had, he had grey hair, age like 28, didn't he? Yeah, don't mess with him. Well, maybe that's because he had a son called Callum who was giving him the runaround because Callum's now a footballer and he has scored his first professional goal for Newport, which is lovely. He's on loan from Middlesbrough. Uh, those four wins for those down at the bottom made it a disastrous weekend, you'd say, for Crawley Town and also for Rochdale George, who lost 2-1 at Salford. I'm so rattled by the fact that Connor McElhenney is 30 years old. I haven't got any other notes here, so I need you to tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I'm impressed with what Salford have done um, in terms of they started the season as like a really heavy possession-based side under Neil Wood uh, and started the season okay. They went through that really bad run and it feels like Wood has, has changed it. I mean, they it, it needed to because their pitch is like a, a field. Um, but they've they've gone a bit more direct. They're using McElhinney off Smith to really good effect. The two goal scorers here, scoring a lot from set pieces. Still getting you know Elliot Watt on the ball as we saw um, to to create, but it's just not that that kind of heavy possession for possession's sake. And they're doing well from it. You know, four wins on, on the bounce. Uh, they're forcing their way into that top three battle at the moment. Um, Rochdale themselves offered very little until they were two 0 down uh, and then got the penalty and and and, and looked you know. Like they might come back into it, but realistically, they they were short of quality um, there, and and especially with the Hartlepool result going against them, um, their their prospects, their survival prospects, uh, took another hit on Saturday. McElhenney's emergence has been big, hasn't it? Um, in this run of twenty points from their last ten, accidental for what? Accidental? Well, it was only because Hendry got suspended. He right. was just out. He was out the side. Yeah. There you go. Well, he has scored uh, seven in seven. And this season, a total of eight goals from around 3xG. So um, I'm going to start calling him the second half of the season Hoskins uh, because wow. 
he's got he has got a good shot on him to be honest and uh, and we're seeing that but also i think it's worth pointing out they as they have been in every single window since they re since they joined the Football League, were able to sign some pretty big names. Cairns has gone straight into goal. McLaughlin straight in at right back. Louis Barry and, and Morton, of course, getting some significant minutes as well. So um, Neil Wood certainly has some ambitious owners, as we like to say. Um, crew nil, Grimsby 3 or Stockport 3, Tranmere 2, George. You have the choice between the two clubs that came up from the National League last season, both of whom scored three. How's that for a clunky link? Yeah, I'll take uh, Grimsby Town, who beat Crew 3-0. Um, a weird week for Crew, having been the better side against Stockport and then putting in a a terrible performance here against against uh, Grimsby. But a yeah, I mean, so much to to like for Grimsby fans here. Um, seeing McAtee pick up the ball, run at goal and then deliver a finish of that quality um, has been what's been lacking for Town since he returned from injury. I, I think his return was seen to be the, the the one missing spark to to, to give them hopes of a, a playoff push. And then his return ended up coinciding with with a really poor run. Um, but that was a moment of, of real quality in the game. And then, you know, when you bring in a, a new striker and George Lloyd for him to get off the mark in this way, uh, immediately getting a goal on his first start with another quality finish. And then you bring on another January signing in, uh, in Dixon Peters, who goes and, and gets a third goal off the bench as well. So... This is pretty much the perfect day of the office, isn't it, for, for Paul Hurst and his side. Um, they've got a, a big FA Cup replay against Luton coming up in midweek. Um, so, yeah, after a sticky spell, things certainly looking up for Grimsby and a, a really good performance here. Well, Stockport beat Tranmere 3-2. Three, three wins, no, three without a win before this. Uh, so much needed, you'd say, up and running again. And now in the playoff places, uh, Stockport County. It was Kyle Noyle's excellent header that put them ahead. That was cancelled out by Hemmings' penalty. Looked like he had some good words with someone in the afters, which is always good to see. Uh, I would broadly say, George, that Tranmere's defence normally looks relatively sure of itself, but not here. Something in the air in Stockport really freaked him out. We had a hospital pass from Dakers Cogley, looping, bouncing ball back to his keeper, which Wooden jumped up and headed in over the keeper, who obviously couldn't catch it because it would have been a back pass. Uh, and then Sloppy from Turnbull as well, who who played a pass that was um, basically blocked by an attacker uh, and Collar popped it in for 3-2. So, or like 3-1 as it was at the time. So, um, yeah, Tramier masters of their own downfall. Stockport, very, very happy to, to exploit that and make the most of it because a few other teams recently have made it hard for them. 3-2 uh, win into the top seven where I think we expect them to stay. A uh, couple of draws. Uh, Colchester 1, Barrow 1. George, I think fair to say that Colchester will be happier with uh, with the point there. <laughs> yeah, they will be, although they I probably feel like they may have deserved more because they um, they were good on the day. They created um, plenty. Uh, I think whenever you score a very late equaliser, you're going to feel happy that you've come away with the point. But um, it certainly feels like Matt Bloomfield has it, whatever it is at the moment. Um, he's come in at Colchester. Yes, they managed to bring in a couple of key players in January, but they are a totally different side to what we saw um, earlier in the season. Who knew that going out and appointing a new manager who wasn't somebody who's already had links to the club um, could could go and benefit a team in such a way? Fresh ideas doing the job at, at Colchester. Disappointing for Barrow, who would have been a great way to bounce back from that humbling defeat in midweek. Um, it does feel like maybe for them, uh, it's been such a good season for Pete Wilde in his side, his first season there, but maybe... 
um, they're just losing a little bit of a little bit of puff in in a similar way to maybe how we saw Sutton last season. Um, so impressive, but when you know after coming towards the the crunch time of a of a long season, Barrow looking like they may not have the staying power to to maintain that playoff that playoff push. But um, yeah, I mean, who am I to write them off? Maybe they'll bounce back. Back yourself. You're George Alec. You write them off, mate. Write them off. No, I'm not. I'm not writing them off. I like them. As I was saying, I was like, I think they're quite good, you know. <laughs> so well. Will one or both of Bradford and Mansfield make the top seven? Mansfield are in sixth at the moment after equalising late on at Valley Parade. Bradford now in ninth, albeit uh, level on points with Stockport. There's not a lot between uh, a nice group of teams in here. So this will be another uh, interesting part of the last few months of the season. Kilgore uh, cancelling out a Cook header. Bradford's weird Valley Parade weakness coming to the fore again, very much holding back their own promotion bid. Uh, It was an interesting weekend full of incident, full of interest. Thank you to George for spending an hour and a half with me chatting through it. Thank you to you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Uh, I'm shutting down, as you can tell. I think I might need to install some updates. So I'm going to say goodbye here. But uh, follow NTT20Pod. And if you'd like to support us, then, um, you know, sharing some of the the stats pieces that Matt is putting out as well, that'd be really handy. Uh, Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel for some interesting videos to come. Uh, And thank you to Betfair for their support of this podcast. It's been the NTT20 Monday pod. And we'll talk again on Thursday with a betting show. Go out.